MCU.html Reassembled is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things movies, media, TV, comics, music, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And we are here to celebrate 50 phenomenal episodes of MCU.html and a little bit of Dark Phoenix. Yay! And, eh. But yay! It has been amazing to take a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe from this sort of like almost academic perspective in that way that you can almost pretend you're an academic if you make a podcast and really sink into these characters, these narratives. We noticed these constant formulas that came up and I don't know, I feel closer to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for having stalked it. I concur, and I feel like I came away from this with a new appreciation for it. I do not think that it is a perfect franchise by any means, and we've been super upfront about that. I love that you said that appreciation is the right word, because I definitely am more aware of its flaws, like you're saying, but I love it a little bit more too. Yeah, exactly. It's something that really has meant a lot to me during a very formative era of my life where I very much needed superheroes and to see positive stories about people doing good. I think that that's something that we always need more of in the world and it makes me so happy that something that I do love so much is so successful and so beloved by so many. And of course we couldn't do this without our amazing listeners and friends and the other co-hosts on the network all joining in. So for this two-part anniversary episode, we're going to be hearing from a number of our listeners, friends, family, I mean, we stacked the deck with people who we knew what we'd be getting from, and we're going to be hearing some new voices, some new perspectives, and we're going to take a look back at the 23 films and three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hey everybody and welcome to an HTML special. We've been getting our listeners' opinions, ranking the 23 movies of the MCU. It goes without saying that we are always more than happy to get a woman's opinion, a feminist opinion on these things, because as great as it is that we love to talk about the feminist qualities of these films, it is without a doubt much more important to hear it from an actual feminine. <coughs> so here to the be horse's the, mouth. the feminine <laughs> to my, my mess. To, to the, to the, uh, my maskin is our incredible artist, like, incredible, brilliant editor, writer, uh, contributor to X's for Podcast, Tori Sheehan. Hey, Tori. Hi, Nico. You know, the most amazing thing is that I promised Kevo that I would keep this episode to, like, a really short runtime, and I can't even <laughs> seem to keep the introductions in the mini segments to a short runtime, so I think I lied. But why we're here? We're here because you love comics. I believe you love comics so much they're part of your career 
career. They are. I'm a Johnny-come-lately to the comic scene. I've always loved the stories that have come out of them for a very long time. So I was excited to really dive into this because I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I I get my father the 3D Blu-ray DVDs of these movies every birthday and Christmas. I think Father's Day would do something different, but like he gets at least one of these, if not two, every single time. And fortunately, the release schedule has supported that. But we watch these, they are constantly on. You know, I'm so happy to hear that because like my dad and sister, when they had a layover one time in LA, they had just gone to wine country and they had visited some family and they wound up going through John Wayne, I think. And Mm -hmm. they had this weird layover. So they went to the movies and they saw Ant-Man because my dad and sister share these movies too. So I really love hearing that fathers and daughters can share these films because I think that is a huge motif through these movies. Uh, Parentage, and not just parentage, but fathers and daughters. I think there's a really strong current that runs through Hope and Hank Pym, and I really love that. So I would love to see more hope, and I guess that's all our hope for the future. We all have that hope. So I think enough about the future. Let's talk about the present and the past. So Tori, whether or not you came to these movies in this franchise, day one in 1961 or you got here last week comics are better for having you and we are super grateful that you're here to share not just your opinions on these films but a little bit of your fun reaction to (laughs) the the overall mcu as it's come together through html so i guess i want to start on a the, the darker note and build our way up to the better note so tell me tori what are your bottom three mcu films from phases one two and three so my bottom three, what I consider to be the worst of this bunch is The Incredible Hulk. The one right above that is Doctor Strange. And the one above that is Ant-Man and the Wasp. I think The Incredible Hulk's the only one I never saw in theaters. Well, nope, that's a lie. I saw Spider-Man Homecoming on HBO. But for a long time, The Incredible Hulk was the only one I hadn't seen in theaters. I actually don't even remember it being advertised or anything. I remember more the Ang Lee one that was coming through the year before, two years before. I wasn't that impressed by it. No, I've only seen it once, actually, the Ang Lee film, which is so strange because I'm a big Ang Lee fan. But I agree with you. Not as much of a deal was made about Hulk, and I think the box office receipts reflect that. Yeah, and it just was... Like, when I rewatched it, because I rewatched all of these to get ready for Endgame, I found it to be very both fast and slow it, it skipped over yeah. things that i wanted more information and then it just would just drag and drag and i love good character development and taking the time to learn a little bit more about each other over pizza or to like stare longingly at each other but i didn't feel like that depth was here i agree i do think it's one of the more surface marvel cinematic universe films it has a lot of the beats of a good movie but it ultimately comes together like a rushed out product it feels more like a tv movie than a theatrical release though it's interesting to hear that you have a movie that i think is maybe actually overly saturated and a little too overdramatic in your bottom three as well and i feel the same way dr strange is a pretty low ranker for me as well much to the chagrin of our fearless leader joey now i know why dr strange (laughs) doesn't hit for me i don't think there's much of an arc to it i don't think there's enough depth to it if you remove the character that was 
changed to a woman, which was, of course, an unfortunate bit of Asian erasure, there's no woman that isn't a love interest in the film. So I have like a zillion problems with that movie. Where did you come in on being pretty about Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange was the movie that I realized I wasn't in love with Benedict Cumberbatch anymore. That was a really tough day. Oh, rough day. That's a rough one. For me, I love Mads Mikkelsen. I followed him in NBC Hannibal. I adore his work. I thought he was a he was a good menacing villain. I felt like they gave us a little bit of backstory for him and it never really bloomed any greater. And I felt like Doctor Strange was I spent the first, I guess it's it's the first 20 minutes or so of the movie saying, you know, Iron Man did this better. And yeah, ugh, I ugh, spent the ugh, last ugh. the last half hour of the movie saying graphics are gorgeous. They're going to be great for Infinity War. That's why they're here right now. We're testing them. And what's so fascinating about that is I feel like saying that it's a weaker version of another film. You know, you, you felt that in some ways Hulk was a copy of the Hulk that came out just a few years earlier. And you're saying that there's bits of Doctor Strange that feel like sort of uh, his poor Iron Man, knowing that a number of the things you loved about Doctor Strange were going to be done better somewhere else. And I really, really feel like Ant-Man and the Wasp suffered from the same kind of thing. It was a rehash of Ant-Man, minus racism, which I really appreciated, but the idea of positive feminism that was included. Yes, we had a strong woman. Yes, we had a female villain. Yes, we had another strong female hero come in. I felt like it was buying time till Captain Marvel, where the real feminism shone. This was a movie where it fulfilled the promise. We knew Janet was coming, and it finally said, here she is. But without actually giving her to us for very much. And we got more hope, which was, again, as we've said, absolutely fantastic. But the movie feels like it knows what the end is, and it has the cool beginning, and everything in between is just sort of waving its hands in front of you until we can get to the point where we know where we want to be. You know what? And I feel like you could say the exact same thing about Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. Although I think Doctor Strange does a little more world building than the other two do, even though I guess Ant-Man and the Wasp has some of the most world building for Endgame that there is. Well, and what's funny is, you know, Hulk also contributed gamma radiation and radiating people and changing them into something else is a huge theme throughout the films, not to mention Ross, who shows up in a handful of movies and a few of the web series. But those are all really superficial aesthetic elements in a way that Doctor Strange is not. Doctor Strange gave hardcore fact. You're absolutely right there. The Hulk is foreshadowing for what we use for Captain America. That the way they choose to, to say how we get Captain America is a callback to the Hulk movie but not in enough of a way that you feel like, I gotta go check out what happened in, in the Hulk movie. Like how I imagine several people while they were watching Endgame was like, oh, there was time travel in Ant-Man and the Wasp? Maybe I should go watch that. And there really wasn't. There was like there really space wasn't, travel. Well, and what's really yeah. interesting, I love that you brought up the parallel between Hulk and Captain America because there is a strong parallel between Cap and Hulk. Again, on the other side of things, in Endgame, when everybody says, no, it's time to stop. Hulk can't handle it. And Cap's like, no, let him try. Because that's exactly almost, the, it's almost the exact same exchange between Erskine and Rogers 
in the first Avenger. So really beautiful point bringing that around full circle. I love that even when we're talking about things that frustrate us with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're able to find credible things, nuanced things, layered things. And that's the hallmark of good work. In good work, even when something is amiss, you can still find positives to learn and grow from. And I feel like for all of its growing pains, the Marvel Cinematic Universe sure has a few phenomenal experiences to give us. I would love to hear your number three first. Before we even get to that number two and number one, I'd love to like climb that ladder. And if it's hard to give them numbers, I'll take them in any order you can handle. I know how hard it can be to like pick babies. No, no, no. These have numbers because I'm cold on the inside. The thing is, though, is that like <laughs> you're asking me about my top three when really what I'd really rather talk about is like my top seven. But that's fine. Hey, you know what? Give me honorable mentions. Honestly, my first honorable mention is Avengers. Avengers should be much higher. I have it at number seven. The problem is, is that we had so many movies in phase three that took what the Avengers Assemble did amazingly and were able to update to upgrade to updo all of it in a way that they could do in phase three that phase two wasn't allowed to do because phase two was already like halfway in the can by the time Avengers Assemble was in stores. So I wanted Avengers Assemble to be higher and it pained me every time that I had to keep punching it down. Guys, I would just like to point out that Tori and I have all the same thoughts it would seem and bringing her on (laughs) just reinforced me feeling smart. So Tori, please keep making me feel smart. What do you have at number six? Number six was Captain America Civil War, which is really funny. So I had rewatched these to go into Endgame, and I had originally sent this list to Nico, and he said, I think you need to rewatch these movies, because I had Civil War somewhere around 16, because I just didn't remember it. Like, I honestly, I blacked out in the summer of 2016, I think due to what happened in the fall of 2016. But I just blacked out, did not remember anything about it. Although if you could have asked me, I would have been able to give you a plot synopsis and been like, these were the memes that are around on Tumblr at that point. But I just didn't remember it. And I watched it and I like just kept texting Nico, like, how did I forget this movie? How did I forget this movie? It's everything. It's everything that I wanted. It was a 48-hour melodrama that was both a bottle episode and one of the most dramatic, overwrought Greek tragedy plays you could possibly get. And you know, Tori, you just said something that is such a great example of why your voice is here. When I come to these films, I come with so much baggage. Yes, I can appreciate it for what it is, but some part of me will always know Kevo comes to things from uh, the films, tying back into the comics, kind of reminding him of things that I've told him about over the years. Tori, you're such a true, like, you're such a true fangirl. You're such a true person to, to fandom and fan culture, and you're someone who has always fought for the voice of the fan author. And you know, to hear you say that you could tell me what Tumblr memes were going on, especially as they related to the MCU and fandom at the time, doesn't confuse me at all. In fact, it even really helps me more understand who you are are as a fan and to hear that your bottom three are films that focus pretty solely on kind of uninspired villains with very little backstory and one to two heroes but that you've already put two team films with well-developed villains where the conflict isn't all fighting a bad guy like I, it really helps me understand who you are as a fan and it makes a compelling argument for the value of fandom helping develop voices that go on to show shape the fandom. And I just think it's a really tremendous argument that you're making simply by having opinions. 
Number five, I had Captain Marvel. I don't know if I actually consider Captain Marvel to be better than Captain America Civil War, but I could not let myself not let Captain Marvel be in, at number five. I had such a great time watching this movie and feeling the feeling of just absolute like girl power that I hadn't felt since I saw the female Ghostbusters, which I will still die on that hill three years later for that movie. I'm I am brutally angry that they are pretending it didn't happen. I have to go by the comics they wrote. They wrote uh like a five or six issues of the girls and the guys. Like there's some I don't know, portally thing between their dimensions, blah blah blah. They go fight ghosts. That's it. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it exists. It's out there. I gotta go get them. But I'm real fucking mad about it. Anyway, I loved Captain Marvel. I loved seeing it. As queer as I am, I'm not that into skinny blondes, but Brie Larson made me rethink that fact, so that was cool. I just really liked it. I love the 80s throwback vibe. I love the, or I guess, early 90s. Early 90s. It was a very cool early 90s vibe. It was very Tori Amos, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey, so you can imagine I had a very good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know, the special effects to keep Samuel L. Jackson looking better than he did in actual 1990s was amazing. Bringing back Phil Coulson was, I mean, as a person who watched at least the first two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it was fun to have him back on there, back up on the big screen, being Phil. Being Phil, he really had a consistent character. Yeah. I thought that was lovely. I love that. I loved getting a look at more early S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. Really, and I love a buddy cop movie. love a buddy cop movie. Absolutely. I think they have probably my favorite partnered friendship in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And I will say Captain Marvel and Spider-Man Far From Home both have the problem where they're trying to pretend like their villains aren't villains when they have 40 years of comics that say this is a villain and we're not stupid. And I'm hoping that they stop that or at least stop trying to pretend like we don't know. I was like, you don't pick up Jude Law to be the mentor that misses her when she goes missing. Don't pick up Jake Gyllenhaal for like some dude who Jake Gyllenhaal, you you brought him in and you did all the surface beats of us getting to know him as a character. Tragic backstory. Great big fight. You know, touching moment with Tom Holland because everyone has touching moments with Tom Holland. It was all surface and I could feel it being surface and I was like, Jake Gyllenhaal's better than this. Casting is better than making this Jake Gyllenhaal if this is just gonna be generic good dude who's just gonna move forward with this. I knew that Mysterio was gonna be a bad guy, but I was like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe because Yon Rog was a bad guy, we're not gonna, they're gonna really twist it, twist it on us. And they didn't, and it made me realize like that the whole movie was a whole facade and I actually think that having the mid credit scene was really helpful because I spent a lot of it going why are the Samuel L. Jackson and Maria Hill scenes so weird so fake and so weird what is going on in this movie anyway all of that is to say it's all about Jude Law <laughs> so that's all Captain Marvel I mean he's beautiful his eyes are different and you know, I appreciate what he brought to the role because he was great. I found Annette Benning also to, you know, still be knocking my socks off. Always. She's Annette Benning. Every Benning. day. 
So for all those reasons, that's Captain Marvel. And then we're going to get to number four, which is the top third of our Captain, Captain, Captain sandwich. It's Captain America Winter Soldier. This used to be my number two movie. And then phase three happened. Captain America Winter Soldier is the movie that I tell everyone to see, even if they don't like superheroes. I'm like, you cannot like superheroes. This is a spy movie. This is a government takedown movie. This is a little bit of buddy cop in the middle. This is a movie that doesn't need superheroes to work at all. You know, it's peak Captain America looking like an actual soldier as opposed to a, an icon and therefore becoming more of an icon. It's the most we've ever gotten out of Natasha. It's Sam being perfect. It's Bucky being the prettiest princess in the land. I mean, this movie's firing 110% on all cylinders and it's the, the only reason it's above Captain America Civil War is because... At this point, we're just getting we're getting to the point where nostalgia beats out movies. And I do have a small feeling that Civil War is a little... There's a lot going on in there. Maybe a little too much, yeah. A little too much, yeah. It tried a little too hard. And also, it's sort of character-assassinated Tony for me, so like that was really rough. So Captain America Winter Soldier is an almost perfect movie for I get me. that. You know what would have made it more perfect? If it was covered in neon and had like five queer people in it. And that's what brings us to number three for uh, my, I think Ragnarok's my number one. I love that it's number three good taste good taste <laughs> it's, it's number three because you'll see the other two and you'll be like fine okay but i had a real rough time on figuring out whether this was going to be number two or number three and at the end of the day i had to let my love for the technical work of black panther beat it out sorry spoiler Thor Ragnarok is perfect. It's the best version of Loki we've gotten. And by best, I mean most interesting, least one-dimensional, which is saying a lot considering Tom Hiddleston could basically make you think a piece of paper has like 15 layers on it. It is an extreme departure for the franchise in a way that is interesting, exciting, made a director come back from the dead and make sure that we get a fourth movie out of this one kind of deal. This is Hemsworth getting to stretch his comedy muscles in a way that I also enjoyed from the female Ghostbusters movie. And Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson at her game, like I mean, and then you've got Kate Blanchett and there's antlers coming out of her head and she's got a tragic backstory that is every, like, eldest daughter who's never good enough, like tale. I think oh my god, how could you like, level. I really do. It Honestly, honestly does. It also lets Anthony Hopkins go into that sweet, sweet good night so that he doesn't have to keep coming back for this bullshit. Like, it's it's the best. I love this movie. I would watch this movie a thousand times. It's really, I love really it. great. Ragnarok is by far one of my favorites. I mean, oh my god, Jeff Goldblum. Oh my god. See, this is the thing with this one. There's just so many people that you 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 pick your top three phase and then you're like, oh no, I've forgotten everybody else in this movie because they're all so great. And that's part of the problem. There's just so much and so many people that have been in so many of these films. It's amazing. Like I had I I had to sit down and like someone was like, Tori, you know, pick pick your pick your future partner out of the Marvel movies and I was like, I don't think you can pick one. Like, I mean yes, I could, but I don't think I could. <laughs> How do no, you pick no way. Your fave? How do you pick your fave? Too you many can't. faves. That's the real children. Faves. There's too many faves. That's, too many. Don't make a buy. Like, no, don't make a buy. Choose. I'm with you, but now I gotta know what's a two and one. Two is Black Panther. Not only is it one of, I would honestly say the best. I, you know, you know what? Fuck it. It's the best villain that we get out of this whole goddamn series, and you know how that pains me because you know Tom Hiddleston is currently within a 25 mile radius of me. So this is true. <sighs> Killmonger's better. Sorry, not sorry. The movie's better. The the premise is better. 
the idea is better, the execution is better, top to bottom, this is our Oscar, our multiple Oscar winner, the cast is outrageous, the production elements are ridiculous, and at the end of the day, this is one of those where, because what the powers that Black Panther have are not as showy, it's just a duke out fight. And a Duke out fight can only go so long, and so you have to you have to take a pause and shout about your feelings. And this movie still makes it dangerous to be yelling at each other in the middle of this of this fight while you gotta take a pause while there's a train going by. I don't know. Sometimes I black out in this middle of this movie because I'm just having too much fun. Like Michael B. Jordan takes his shirt off. Fucking they just all take their shirts off. Angela Bassett shows up. Someone puts a gun on their arm. It's all great. Martin Freeman is in this, and I'm apparently still a big fan of his because I find him very charming in this movie when he is admittedly playing just a straight dude. He's yeah, but I mean, he works it well. He works it well, and he makes it very charming. The stakes are extremely high for not dumping a city onto itself. It's regime change, and you know, like like Loki takes over, right? And Loki takes over Asgard, but like you don't really, and like Hela takes over Asgard, but like you don't feel like that's such an all-consuming danger, especially when Hela does it. But, like, when Killmonger does it, you feel more like the culture is about to be shifted in a way that maybe isn't what everybody signed up for. And that is a more insidious betrayal. And to me, that's the more interesting betrayal. I get that. What it says about race within communities and the way that we speak to ourselves when we try to go home again, when home never came for us in the first place, I think is extremely interesting. I think it's all, it's, it's just all fantastic. And that's why it's the best movie and actually has, should have an asterisk next to it saying this is the best movie in the MCU. So what's above it and why? I'm a nostalgic basic bitch who loves Iron Man. Above hey, all. nothing wrong with it. I would watch that movie. Movie. I would watch that movie on a Saturday marathon, just Iron Man 1. Just the first one. I'd watch it all the time. I watch it. I rewatched it. I saw new things I hadn't seen before. I saw things that I already know. My dad has a habit of quoting movies, and this is one of the ones that he will quote a lot. And I'm not talking about things like I am Iron Man or Box of Scraps. I'm talking about random shit like a cheeseburger. And I'm just like, what are we doing? But also, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it's classic for a reason. It's classic. It was the one that started it all. If it wasn't that compelling we wouldn't have a whole cinematic universe to go along with it it is fitting and perfect i mean i would die at pepper potts's feet and ask to be reborn just to die again i can feel the the improvisation that took us to this place and i welcome it with open arms because it feels real it feels natural it doesn't it feels like this could have been a movie that could have been just as stilted as incredible hulk because there's a lot of mumbo jumbo gumbo in there because of the chemistry and just the larger than lifeness and the fact that I think Robert Downey Jr. had more writing on this movie. Yeah, like, just throughout the script. And throughout the script, they threw out the script. And they let it fly because it just was so good. And, you know, you can tell who wasn't on board with it. But I think if you had just played it straight, played it like Incredible Hulk did, Thor 1 is an extremely, like, they took the script and they played it extra Shakespeare-y, but they basically played it straight. And sometimes it's stilted as hell. Until 
until we get to Avengers, really, like, nobody else really chills the F out. Like, Captain America, sometimes. But we don't really, like, everyone kind of relaxes and lets the the actors breathe in these words. Like Iron Man. I get what you like, mean. Iron Man is just, like, a celebration of the film it is. Yeah. And I think honestly think if it hadn't worked, we wouldn't be talking about Robert Downey Jr. We wouldn't have these movies. Like, Andrew Garfield would have been the last one that... No, we would have had Spider-Man as the Spider-Verse. I honestly don't know if Marvel would still be kicking if it didn't have this cinematic universe. Because it wasn't didn't have television shows. Robert Downey Jr. probably wouldn't exist anymore. He'd be gone. Oh, no. Um, absolutely. Outside of maybe that Sherlock movie. Like, that's it. Like, he had everything riding on this. And it shows. Because I think he also just sort of went, I'm going to go 110% at this. And if it works, that's my golden ticket. And if it doesn't, I gave it my best and I'm just not cut for this acting anymore kind of thing. And I Live think he really just like Like, son's gonna, he's just got money coming in. But I think this movie is absolutely fantastic. You know, when people are like, I don't really like superhero movies, I tell them watch Captain America Winter Soldier. If they are like, yeah, I've seen like, you know, some Batmans and some stuff. I'd be like, great, you're gonna watch Iron Man. Because the best thing about Iron Man is that it turns everything on its head in the last five seconds. And I think, it, yeah. I think if you've and seen... it inspires an entire universe. You know, if you've seen other Marvel movies, you're not going to be as dazzled by that. But if all you've seen is this fucking secret identity bullshit movies for forever... Iron Man becomes a breath of fresh air at the end. I really agree. Does, so. I love it. I'm basic. It's There's fine. There's nothing wrong with being basic. You like what started the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only thing that ever surprised me in this guy is that I liked Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 more than Volume 1. I think it's because I'm a sucker for father-son stories. Everything else kind of shook out how I thought it would. Although I'm shocked at how Thor, how low Thor ended up, but that's because Phase 3 happened. Sometimes being a little bit lower isn't necessarily not being loved. It was amazing to have a chance to have you on and get your perspective on these films, especially with how much it'll kind of like, mine. It has been amazing having Tori here, and we hope you guys keep listening to HTML. And until Tori regraces our stage, Tori, where can everybody find you? Well, my Twitter's private. <laughs> And my Instagram is at smtory. You can uh, you can find me there. It's not that interesting. It's mostly selfies and sometimes the food that I eat. You can check me out on KidRiotComics.com where I am the artist on several titles and the writer of Capes and Boots, sister title to Kid Riot. And maybe you'll be hearing my luscious tones on these airwaves sometime soon. I do believe you'll be hearing them sooner than you think. So, until Tori finds herself back here, we'll see ya. One of the things I've loved so much about this opportunity to take a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with my husband is that it's been the two of us looking at this shit real, real gay, and I've loved that. But because it's sort of been our boys club, not a boys club, it does mean that we haven't had enough of a woman's perspective on this show. So I really enjoyed having Tori come in and not just represent women, but represent queer women in the arts, women in comics. It was super great to have her contribute. I look forward to hearing more from her on the network. Now, 
know. I had a lot of fun doing that interview. Kevo, I believe you might have interviewed a certain night monkey. Yeah. So let's check that one out here on a very special 50th anniversary edition. Whoa. 50th anniversary edition. We'll get there, buddy. Here is from the future, Jonah and Kevo. Hello, everybody. This is the one and only Kevo of HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less. And for this segment of MCU.HTML, I will be interviewing a very special guest to get their perspective on the MCU. We have with us the lovely, beautiful, talented Jonah Rubino of X's for Podcasts. Hello, everyone. I am not a husband, but yet here I am again on this wonderful, amazing podcast. He is family, though, and we certainly value his opinion on all things Marvel. So let's just cut right to the chase. What are your bottom three Marvel Cinematic Universe films? When Kevo asked me if I would be so gracious to do this interview with him, I was so on board, and I had to think about which of the Marvel movies that I've seen, because there are two I haven't seen, so I'm not counting those. Those two would be The Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 3. My bottom three, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Those are your bottom three? Interesting. Okay. So talk to us about that order. I will say this. I think Civil War is probably not the worst movie, and it's my dislike for it isn't anywhere near Doctor Strange or Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but my dislike of Civil War is it felt a bit rushed to me. There's so many weird plot points that they're including in this. I thought the fighting, well, it was amazing action sequences. A lot of it just hinged on weirdness to me that I I felt uncomfortable just watching. And I also didn't like the shoehorn insertion of Winter Soldier into Tony's backstory. I know that Winter Soldier is a little bit more of a newer comic book character that they were including. And so whether or not it's canon or whatever it is, a lot of it just felt clunky and mushed together. Well, they'd been seeding that the Winter Soldier was responsible for Howard Stark's death since Captain America, the Winter Soldier in 2014. But honestly, I definitely think it is something I also could have done without, especially when it came to Tony's response to it. Everything about this emotional connection that he has to his parents, more specifically his mother, really felt completely engineered for Civil War. I don't even know that she was mentioned much really before that film. And so seeing this grown man go so supremely off the rails against someone who he knows wasn't really responsible for their own actions, it wasn't the best light to look at our characters in for sure. I can totally see where the way that the heroes were presented and pitted against each other, making Captain America Civil War sort of unappealing. And for being titled a Captain America movie, this very much feels more like a Avengers movie heavily focused on Tony. It doesn't really feel like Cap is the star of this movie, which is fine. But if you're going to have his name in the title, I thought Captain America should be more of a focus point than he really was. He's even in a lot of it, but so much more of the story is about Bucky and Cap's reactions to it. Tony is the one who gets scenes that are focused more on his characterization and his emotional journey than Steve, which, yeah, is bizarre for a movie that bears his name and is probably the last, at least for a while, Captain America movie. That is true, but I will say I did like this being Spider-Man's introduction. I did like this being the first time we really get to see T'Challa Black Panther in it as well. So there were some really cool character introductions. Oh, I just felt some of the conflict was contrived. As much as I really do kind of appreciate the scene of Natasha letting Steve go, it doesn't make much sense. Natasha should have just been on Cap's side to begin with. I understand she has a duty to uphold, but she just later portrayed 
trees for no real reason. Everyone's moral code is sort of very ambivalent in the whole film. Tony, you know, we love Spidey, but he recruits a teenager. And when you're in the middle of arguing about the Sokovia Accords, which I he did not make Peter sign as an underage boy, like, it's very muddled, for sure. What would you say is the next lowest ranked one between the two of Guardians Volume 2 and Doc Strange? I definitely agree with you that these are toward the lower end of my spectrum of Marvel movies as well. That would be Doctor Strange. Now, a lot of, I will say this, Doctor Strange actually has some pretty great visuals. I think a lot of the magic is so interesting and different from what we've seen so far. Yeah. But my biggest problem with Doctor Strange was the beginning. Like the first 30 minutes, I found it so hard to root for Stephen Strange. They made him so unlikable and it made me really upset to be like, this person became a hero and now I know all heroes come from all different walks of life. But if you're going to be a hero, you have to have some redeemable, likable qualities and it seems like it took a really traumatic event for him to be humbled for me to try to like him. Have I told you lately that I love you because I feel the same damn way. You know, when we meet Tony Stark, he is obviously crass and bombastic and loves to poke people, but he's also like fun and he mostly wants you to be in on the joke even when he's making jokes at your expense. And Stephen Strange is just an outright pompous ass for the majority of the opening of the film and it really i completely completely agree makes it so hard to follow his hero's journey it doesn't really feel like he has one it's only when he fully comes into his powers and starts talking about how he doesn't want to kill people because of his hippocratic oath that you start to feel like okay this is someone that i can root for and who i want to see with this mantle but for the first half hour like don't forget one of the calls that he rejects for charity case basically is implied to be Rhodey fresh off of being critically injured in Captain America Civil War and he deems the subject that he'd be working on not interesting enough. And that's what it is and I when I first watched Doctor Strange I immediately asked Nico is this how Doctor Strange is characterized in the comics? One of the words he described Doctor Strange as is lovable and caring and I didn't get that from the movie at least in the beginning part. So that start to the movie kind of soiled it for me. And as much as I enjoyed the fighting sequence, him getting the eye of Agamotto, all these different great things that did happen to him and that were interesting and that I am excited for the second movie now that he's a much nicer and more interesting character in my opinion, it still really sullied my taste for the first movie. And you know, you mentioned the Eye of Agamotto. I think that's another thing that threw me with this movie, especially the way it was so offhandedly revealed that the Eye of Agamotto was an Infinity Stone and specifically the Time Stone. I don't believe the Eye of Agamotto is particularly for time magic in the comics, let alone being an Infinity Stone. So that was such a very strange thing to do for that character and that canon. I We don't know yet whether or not or how it will affect Doctor Strange in multi 
multiverse of madness. But, you know, at the very least, I feel like the last half of the movie has me somewhat intrigued of what might come next. I don't want to see any more of Mordo, for sure. He was kind of a boring, flat villain to me. I guess my other small complaint is, I kind of wanted more of Dormammu. If you listen to Exit for Podcast, one of the recent episodes talking about video games, I talk about my love for uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. Dormammu is a pretty amazing character. He's really fun to play as. So seeing that translate into the movie, I kind of felt a little shortchanged that he didn't really do much. He was kind of just there for the last five minutes and it was kind of the butt of a joke. Yeah, I can only hope that future films are going to serve that character better you know so are we at your at your bottom now yes guardians of the galaxy 2 is my least favorite mcu movie i know that it's a very controversial subject guardians of the galaxy i feel like it's something you either love it or you hate it i know that mcu.html has certainly come down on the more negative side of the film overall what are your feelings on the subject so a couple of great things i do like about guardians of the galaxy as as a smaller franchise within the MCU, they do have pretty great characters. I absolutely love Mantis. I think she was an amazing addition. I think every time she gets a second on the screen, she ends up stealing it because she's just so hysterical and she's a great comedy relief character. But that being said, the other members, I don't have much of a like or a fondness for, except for maybe Gamora. Everybody else, or Groot, but Groot's also goes from being a lovable tree person to a whiny brat within a couple of movies. So you take what you get. But a lot of my problems from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 stem from that it's so all over the place. We have the golden people chasing the Guardians in the first part of the movie, but then that's completely disregarded until the very end. And then we have the team split up for a long time. And there's so much going on that it's really hard for me to focus on what the story is. The team spends so much of this movie split where Rocket and I forget who with is with Rocket on his team. I think it's just... Groot and then they get picked up by Yondu. Mm, yeah, so a lot of that is where the action takes place. For majority of this movie, Peter Quill, Gamora, and Drax don't do much. They're just kind of talking with Peter Quill's dad and it's I, I'm just like, there's so much to it of giving this another white male straight character this amazing thing where he's technically part planet. It's really weird. It's not necessary and I, I don't think, I think this was a start of the downfall of Peter Quill. Yeah, I could see that. I definitely see everything that you're saying, honestly. I never even considered how little action there is on the ego side of the story up until the climax. It is mostly them just walking around talking to Peter's dad. And, you know, I don't think anyone expects a superhero movie to necessarily be all action all the time, but that is certainly not a very well distributed story honestly huh that's really interesting and then even more specifically i have a huge problem of nebula turning good in this way it's because it felt so out of nowhere that in the first movie it was really heavily explained that she has this extreme rivalry with her adopted sister gamora that she's always vying for thanos's attention and love and because she constantly loses, she's constantly having to prove herself because gamora is just that much better than her but when she's had 
has the kill shot on Gamora and she's like, I love you. It just, it felt out of nowhere to me. And I am by no means saying Gamora can't be a good character or a superhero. I'm all for a villain turning into a superhero, but I want it to make more sense or that storyline needed to be developed further. It kind of reminds me of the way that Spike is developed on Buffy. James Marsters was only kept around as Spike for as long as he was because the cast and crew really loved him and the character. He was originally supposed to die like halfway through season two, but they decided to keep him anyway and then they brought him back again for an episode in season three and then when David Boreanaz got his own show, they needed to plug that hole with a nebulously helpful vampire and were like, sure. She does sort of seem to kind of turn on a dime. And I know you only have so much room for characterization in movies, but it's it's a lot and it could have used a little bit more work. I guess that's just wrapping up everything about what I don't like about Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is that I guess I was just disappointed. I needed more from it. I wanted to see a cool space adventure or something. We didn't, it just felt like there wasn't much to this movie except for destroying planetary ego. That's really it. And you know, it's hard when it's a group franchise to put a lot of focus into the individual characters, obviously, because you only have so much screen time. But, you know, you have to find a way to make it work. Otherwise, why bother building the thing, you know? But now let's move to a brighter path. What are your top three MCU films? Number three. My number three film, and this is not me being biased in any way, shape, or form, is Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay, little Petey, tell us all about why you love your movie so much. So, I think what makes Spider-Man Homecoming so special to me, and it's the performance of Tom Holland, in that me reading a couple of Spider-Man issues for Exit for Podcast made me realize how well Tom Holland captures the voice of how Peter Parker was characterized originally. He gets the nerdy kind of, I don't really know what to do about responsibility so well and that he comes off very similar to how I always describe Peter on Exodus for Podcast being nuanced. I completely agree. He is probably the best characterization of Spider-Man that I have seen in terms of media adaptation to date. It's really hard character to pin down because, you know, he's making his jokes and he's jumping around. So a lot of people think of him as being suave or charming, like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. He's a nerd. So a lot of people think of him as being, you know, sort of meek, like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. This does a really good job of marrying all of the concepts that build Peter Parker into one character, for sure. And I think it was a really great way to give us Peter because we just saw him in Civil War, and now he gets to have his own movie and really show what the events of Civil War meant to him. He's a teenager in the MCU, and it's a really big deal because that's... It's it's one thing to have if Peter was an adult, but he's still a child in high school. This is a huge responsibility, and it's really interesting to see how a child is tackling that responsibility and what it means to him and how he can save the day. And you know, it's especially hard in this day and age of people loving to 
poke continuity holes in things to balance a teen superhero and make it believable um, without questioning why there aren't any adults stopping this teenager from endangering themselves. And I think they do a great job of balancing the reality of being a teenager with the reality of Peter's powers, which make him unbelievable. And it makes him doing this a lot safer than one would think. And it's why I love after the revelation of May finding out that he's Spider-Man, we cut right to her being a supportive super parent because, you know, she was probably shown and can't deny Peter's strength and his abilities. And I can just picture Peter giving her a little speech about how he just wants to help people and who could say no to that sweet little face. He's just so adorable. And it, I think that it's just a testament to the amazing cast within that movie. Zendaya plays an amazing MJ to me. I think she takes the character in a completely different route than traditional expectations of who MJ is. And I love her performance in anything. I will stand Zendaya for anything and everything. So that's just me. I love Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. I love the villains. I love uh, Happy and Ned. Like they created so many amazing characters that make this such a feel good, joyful movie to watch and to root for the right people. They created and invented so many great characters and they they used so many great ones that already existed. That's one of the really cool things about this too. You know, there's background mentions of the Sokovia Accords with Peter learning about them in class. The gym teacher played by Hannibal Buress mentioning that Captain America is like a war criminal, but I guess we're going to watch this hygiene video anyway. By the time Spider-Man Homecoming came out, the MCU was already such an established thing. This was the 16th film and there were so many things for them to draw from and I think they created something that is so unique and original that still fits so well into this universe. So let's hear it. Number two. My number two, probably maybe a shock to some people, is Thor Ragnarok. Thor Fraggle Rock, you say? Yes. Fraggle Rock Thorson Jones the third. That is my favorite Thor movie. What I love about Thor Ragnarok is it's just so I, I say this with the greatest meaning. It's so campy and so just doesn't it doesn't feel like it takes itself seriously so i can just enjoy this kind of really out there movie it has a lot of jokes it's really just thor learning about himself as being the son of a god and what it, that means that he's more than just his hammer but we get there in a really funny way and it's a lot of just funny high speed high space space junk hijinks and i have to give it up to tessa thompson for an amazing performance as valkyrie and creating another amazing character Absolutely. And one of the things I love about Thor Ragnarok is that it doesn't take itself too seriously while still taking itself seriously. It's not like they were like, let's just put this fucking movie out. Who cares? You know, thought and nuance went into the characters and the plot and the characterization and, you know, the scene with Loki and Thor and Odin on the clifftop in Norway is still touching and you know we see Thor struggling with this notion of losing Asgard and it even manages to deliver a happy ending contained within itself even though we know it is not going to stay happy which you know kudos to them for finding a way to manage that and I, I think that we have another all-star cast and also I think this was a great way to introduce what happened to the Incredible Hulk. When was the last time that we saw the Incredible Hulk? 
So Thor Ragnarok came out in November of 2017, and Age of Ultron came out in May of 2015. So two and a half full years between appearances of Mark Ruffalo's Hulk slash Bruce Banner. It's really kind of amazing that they chose to wait that long to introduce this character again. But I think he finds himself right at home in this film. And, you know, it's when Thor is in the arena and he sees Hulk and he cheers because he's so excited because that's his friend from work. It's just something like they're so magical. And Mark Ruffalo also gives an amazing performance. And also just adding the Hulk not wanting to be Bruce Banner again and just wanting to be the Hulk and having that identity crisis for Bruce Banner of the struggle of the monster within I think is pretty amazing and I think it's a great setup to Professor Hulk. Yeah, they really developed this bizarre nuanced little recurring B-plot for Bruce to be having kind of in the background of several movies that kind of does first start here in Thor Ragnarok of him trying to reconcile these two sides and then we see it develop further in Avengers Infinity War until we get to as you cited Professor Hulk in Avengers Endgame and it really brings the character full circle all the way back from the Ed Norton days in 2008. I would say my only complaint about Thor Ragnarok is I wanted more Hela. Hela is a very scary villain when in her first scene she already establishes herself as a very scary god of death and that she is leagues and leap years and light years ahead of thor and loki in terms of power i would have loved to see more of her show me her dominating one of the worlds that asgard used to control i would love that well one of the really cool things about the upcoming disney plus show loki is that it seems it will take place in an alternate timeline that diverges around the Avengers in 2012. So there is a timeline out there where Hela has still survived. I don't know necessarily whether they could get Kate Blanchett for a streaming service television series, but I mean, look at the names that they have gotten. They got the only reason that Blade happened is that Mahershala Ali called Marvel to say, I would like to play the character. And Kevin Feige said, yes, please. People love being involved in these movies and this franchise so who's to say we can't see hella again someday in some shape or form all right here we are the very tippy top number one my number one again this might be a shock but my number one truthfully and honestly is after considering everything is captain marvel okay okay talk about that talk about carol okay so my when captain marvel was first announced i got so excited that brie larson was announced to play carol danvers i have been a huge brie larson fan for many a year she played one of my favorite characters probably in existence in a movie of scott pilgrim versus the world where she played amazing envy adams and she has a great cover of black sheep's metro but captain marvel really establishes itself as a movie to me that's had a lot of love and really a lot of time put into it to make it an amazing special thing that it is i don't really think i have many complaints about it because carol danvers made me fall in love with her within the first few minutes i see her on screen where i know that she's destined to do great things and that she has a genuine true heart to do good and to save the people that she loves. I completely agree, especially on where her heart is at on wanting to do the right thing. You know, Carol Danvers and Captain Marvel have been a very controversial character this year due to many different people's many different opinions when it comes to female heroes and how they should be presented or how they should perform. But as a person who is frequently adroit in public and 
social situations. I really, the character of Captain Marvel being someone who is frequently expressionless or it resonated with me personally. You know, she doesn't have to be this bubbly figure just because she is a girl. And I really appreciated seeing a hero who learned to not care about what people might think of who she is and instead follow her own moral compass. I think you said it amazingly and you hit the nail on the head of what I think draws a lot of people to Brie Larson's characterization of Captain Marvel. I also love her budding and developing friendship with Nick Fury. It was amazing to see Samuel L. Jackson in this movie as a young Nick Fury working for S.H.I.E.L.D. and watching their friendship bloom and them becoming amazing best friends is one of the most amazing things to watch on screen and seeing that relationship develop. And it's because they are amazing friends in real life. They have worked together on several projects and especially after being featured in Spider-Man Far From Home so heavily, Samuel L. Jackson hasn't indicated at all that he is finished with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I hope and pray that we will see a strong Nick Fury presence in the Captain Marvel sequel because I agree, I loved their friendship and I really want to see more of that, especially now, 30 years later. Did they keep in touch while she was off-world? Was that distress signal the first time that she had heard from him since the 1990s? We really don't have any indication yet, so there is a lot of room to explore, and I'm certainly looking forward to that. I couldn't agree more. I, Carol Danvers and Brie Larson's characterization, she isn't always as physically facial expressive, but she still nails the comedy when she needs to. She still nails those heart-pulling sh- moments, especially when she finds out the truth that she's not really Kree, that she was a human abducted by the Kree, and they were on a mission to kill her former mentor and someone that she loved, Marvel. And I go into this saying that Captain Marvel was a character that I knew nothing about before watching this movie. Everyone else, I had some form of idea of who they were as a character or what they did or why they were popular but Captain Marvel this is my first ever introduction to Captain Marvel and I I fell in love the moment I saw her eyes well I guess that wraps up the top and bottom three so I guess traditional sign-off then Jonah where can everyone find you around the interwebs if you'd like to find me on Twitter and Instagram you could find me at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino and if you would like to hear me talk about more about comic book stuff follow uh, X's for Podcast where you hear me and Nico talk about the X-Men most of the time <laughs> where we also have amazing hosts such as kevo our friend warpath dylan kyle and soon to be mikey but for now you'll just hear me complaining about why they're not writing everything as good as they should be see ya kevo this very well may be the longest episode of html and somehow it involves the least us talking to one another Yeah, I don't like that. No, me neither. So until next time, when things make a little bit more sense, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitters and Instagrams at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me on the Facebook page for this lovely program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. You can also find me producing art with our amazing queer team of artists and some super cool, super fun superhero comics over at KidRideComics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you? 
find you? You guys can find me all over this network here on shows like Now and Again, where we talk pop music, and X is for Podcasts, where we talk comics. As always, you guys can find me making music at facebook.com slash action duo, as well as on my Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. We're going to be all over the country, up and down the East Coast, taking our arts show on the road, whether it's showing at comic cons like FlameCon and NYCC in August and October, respectively, or FIT's Diversity Con later that month. We're going to be all over doing our Kid Riot thing, as well as a couple of big projects that will be announced over on the HTML page, so check it out there. All right, guys, until we come back to finish out the MCU, we'll see ya. Bye! Bye!